when we come to practice meditation following the path laid down by the Buddha. Often our initial motivation for taking up meditation is not necessarily because we've been born a Buddhist with faith from birth in the path of practice and in the triple gem. Often it's more because we've had some insight into our own minds and our own lives to see that there is some discontent there and we have a wish to free ourselves from the discontent in whatever way it's manifesting for us. So our wisdom faculty, panya, is the leading motivation. We have some insight, awareness that there's something not quite right. We can see the mind is not as peaceful, as happy as we would like. Therefore our lives are not as peaceful, happy as we would like or that we think they could be. And that's a valid way to begin practice. But often it's not enough. As we find, as we continue the practice of meditation, whether as a lay person or in the monastery as a bhikkhu or samanera, the very discontent that we're observing can pull us in and when mindfulness and wisdom is not maintained and we get caught into being discontent because we're discontent. Especially when we are very goal orientated from our background conditioning in society. As we practice meditation, we look at the goals where we're headed, the goal of uh, developing mindfulness, concentration, samadhi and then insight, and then ultimately liberation of the mind. Nibbana, the end of suffering. We look at those goals and then we look back at the reality of our mind and often feel frustrated in our efforts. Often we want to 
use willpower just to force the mind to be peaceful, to end any discontent, suffering that we may experience. Like a sports person willing themselves to train to go further to achieve the peak in their sport. But working with our mind is a much more subtle affair that take, requires more patience, more wisdom than that. And it's important to see this point so that we don't become disheartened or give up the practice too quickly. We have many simple models for reflecting on practice that help us here. In the Four Noble Truths we can see we have dukkha, its cause, its end and the path that leads to its end. Very powerful, clear model for reflecting on what's going on in our mind, in our lives. Or another even simpler one perhaps is the path of Buddhist practice that all Buddhists teach. Abandoning that which is unwholesome. Developing that which is good. Purifying your mind. This is the teaching of all Buddhas. These kind of models for reflection help us to deal with the fact that we are looking at maybe what we might see as imperfections in our mind, in our life, the way we think, the way we act. They give us some grounding as what to do about it in a skillful way, how to use our wisdom, direct it to support the practice. Or at other times, even more simply, the Buddha just said to the bhikkhus once said, don't be afraid of making merit. Doing wholesome actions, wholesome karma. He emphasized the fact that to deal with the discontent of the mind, we have to develop wholesome qualities and establish the mind in wholesome qualities to be able to transcend and let go and detach from that discontent and different kinds of mental and physical suffering that affect us. So this model of practice then is one of developing the wholesome in all aspects of our life to support the development of the meditation and the arising of those things that we desire, the samadhi and the wisdom, the insight that will ultimately free ourselves from the discontent, the suffering that we want to be free from.
making merit in the Buddhist path always begins in its simplest form as we know in dana dana barami you notice when you have a motivation and intention to practice dana in any form helping other people serving teachers helping Sangha members helping the laity, small things, big things. It always begins with a, a motivation and intention to do something. And even before the act is completed, maybe there's already some happiness arising in the mind. This is a very important point to understand that this kind of happiness the arising of wholesome dhammas, say the thought to do something kind or generous for another person or group of people or for oneself. Just the thought, the intention already will bring up some happiness, some joy. And then having done that act, thinking back on it, remembering it, recollecting it, will tend to bring up that joy again, sometimes even more powerfully if mindfully recollected. It's even a form of meditation the Buddha gave, Chakanu Sati, recollecting the dana one has done, the renunciation one has performed in the past. based on this sense of developing the wholesome, developing meritorious actions and the joy, the happiness that they bring to the mind as a supportive factor for the arising of samadhi and insight, as a supportive factor for letting go and transcending one's attachment to these candors, this body and mind. The Buddhist path is a very systematic way of training. But the details on a daily basis and how each individual follows this path will obviously vary. But this sense of developing the wholesome, the supportive factors, will deepen one's sense of personal happiness as one's practicing to help counter the discontent and the dukkha that we're also observing that we're trying to free ourselves from. And it's an important thing to reflect on over and over again to go back to the nourishing roots of the practice even say in terms of the spiritual faculties, the different faculties or powers, different qualities that we're developing. Panya, wisdom or insight that sees some of the dukkha in our lives is balanced by sattā, the faith, the conviction in 
our own potential to transcend suffering and the Buddha's enlightenment, the enlightenment of others, and then our own potential. It's not enough just to see dukkha, to see one's own discontent and want to get rid of it. One has to have some of the nourishing, wholesome qualities arising from a true and sincere conviction that a human being can do this as well, so that one can face up to the challenge with a, a brave heart and the wholesome energy that comes from sattā, from faith. So just hearing Dhamma, meeting practitioners, reading Dhamma books, and then reflecting on Dhamma, already this is bringing up some of that meritorious, wholesome energy to sustain the practice. And obviously the development of the virtue, the discipline of speech and action, is also meritorious, wholesome dhammas that we need to develop to establish the mind in wholesome states, in the states of renunciation, of sensual indulgence, the obsession with the objects of senses, sense pleasure, sensuality in all its different forms and the letting go of the unwholesome motivations maybe to exploit others to get what one wants, the sense pleasures, the temporary happiness that comes from that that we want. Often it leads us to knowingly or unknowingly exploit, harm others in different ways. But seal and the practice of the Vinaya training and the discipline helps us to restrain that, to avoid falling into that kind of karma. And also restrain our negative tendencies to speak and act in ways that harm ourselves and others. Practicing virtue, sila, vinaya, this is a wholesome input that we reflect on every day. Again, it's another meditation that the Buddha gave us, sila anusati, reflecting on the precepts that we've kept, that we are keeping, that we determined to keep in the future. Again, when done consciously as a reflection, a contemplation, brings up wholesome states of mind, meritorious states of mind, it brings up joy, happiness. Even if one hasn't yet attained samadhi, one can reflect on the fact, well, today I kept the five precepts, or the eight precepts, or the bhikkhu vinaya, completely, as well as I know, as well as I'm aware. Just that, can be a great source of joy when remembered and recollected consciously. So we can see we're building up 
a whole picture of us, many sources of joy, contentment, happiness arising through the practice, through the practice of dana, practice of arising faith through hearing the Dhamma, contemplating Dhamma, the keeping of precepts, all are feeding wholesome, meritorious inputs into our mind, our heart. So the teachers in Thailand always talk about one who's ready to attain samadhi and one-pointedness of mind, the peace, the concentration that we're all seeking. It happens when their heart fills up with these meritorious and wholesome dhammas. Like a water jar is slowly filling up. When it's completely full, then the mind is established in wholesome dhammas the dana, the sila, the sata, and the insight is all there. And samadhi can arise. The mind becomes firm in wholesome dhammas. Obviously we have techniques to develop this as well. We have the technique of meditation using the breath, contemplation of the body and so on. But in terms of the evolution of our minds and hearts, it's this process of filling up with wholesome dhammas to the point where they're steady and continuous. And this is why with the techniques of meditation, practicing mindfulness, we can overcome the different hindrances, the obstacles to samadhi. The mind is steady enough, wholesome enough to let go and transcend those hindrances, even if not permanently, at least temporarily. The sensuality, the aversion, the dullness, the agitation and restlessness and anxiety of mind and then the doubts, uncertainty, the five hindrances. You can see all the different wholesome inputs in the practice are supporting this. In the dana, the sila, the sata, the insight. If it's not balanced, all these you know these inputs aren't kind of balancing each other. Then we tend towards one extreme or another. Maybe spend all our time just on dana to the point where we don't really perfect mindfulness or wisdom or we have so much wisdom that our intellectual critical faculty is working so hard that we just see everything negative about ourselves and the world around us we never have enough joy to, for the mind to settle down into wholesome dhammas We can see over time that these different tendencies are there, the tendencies towards getting distracted in the practice or becoming too negative or critical in the practice and so on. So we have to keep looking at how to balance these different aspects of the practice.
obviously the practice continued and regular practice of meditation will be developing the quality that helps to manage this or balance this. When you're practicing meditation you start to observe yourself more closely on a daily basis. You're seeing what's coming up in your mind every day. What am I thinking about? What is the quality of my state of mind? And whether it is more joyful, more happy in itself, or getting caught up into misery and anxiety and fear or aversion or just craving different things that haven't got. We get to know ourselves through the development of mindfulness, this quality of knowing yourself, knowing this mind, this body, from moment to moment during the meditation. And as we practice mindfulness, this, this quality that develops both the mindfulness and the insight, the wisdom, is a quality that leads to dispassion, detachment. So it's very much an objective way of looking at our mind, our body, without creating further suffering out of what we see, but just knowing and then adjusting to what we see as we meditate. So if we're still experiencing a lot of discontent, distraction, dullness, whatever, it's not to judge that, but to take responsibility for it and start working with it. If we just get caught into judging ourselves, then we will tend to just feed the same problem, the same discontent, despair, negativity. If we give it too much importance, then this sense of self will actually grow and become more of a problem. We become attached to our, the, thing, the very thing we're trying to let go of and free ourselves from. This is where we're getting discontent because we're discontent. In the practice of mindfulness, we're learning just to look and observe. But to do that, we have to train in a meditation object, use these techniques of meditation to strengthen the mindfulness, make it more continuous, more clear, so that we can see clearly. And when we can see clearly then, the different kinds of discontent and distraction and so on, and then we'll have enough strength to drop them. Seeing clearly means developing insight, using again the technique of insight that the Buddha gave us, contemplating anicca dukkha anatta. When mindfulness is very weak, we tend to just run with whatever's going on in the mind. As we meditate even, whatever comes up, we just follow it. We get caught up into it and give it meaning. We run with it. And so the mind doesn't gain much understanding there. It may gain some patience, some endurance, but... If mindfulness is weak, we just can tend to run with what's going on. But when we establish mindfulness more strongly, 
we can see the different mental states, physical sensations, feelings and so on that are arising as an Icha Dukkha Anatta. As you establish mindfulness, you can see any thought, discontent, distraction, agitation, whatever it may be, however important it may seem, you can see it as arising and passing away because there's enough mindfulness to do that. There's enough mindfulness for the mind, as it were, to separate, step back. Clearly, without not just stepping back through dullness, but stepping back with clarity, with the knowing. Just knowing this is something temporary, arising, passing away. Feelings, painful, pleasurable, arising, passing away. So only through the presence of clear, strong mindfulness that we can have that kind of insight. But as we practice regularly in this way and develop this insight regularly, then obviously the mind learns from that. It's a learning, maturing process. And there'll be some particular moods, sensations, feelings, aspects of one's body and mind that one quickly gets to know this is impermanent. What is impermanent is unsatisfactory, is dukkha, it's just bound to degenerate, is not anything worth clinging to, holding on to. What is anicca we see as dukkha, and what is anicca dukkha we see as anatta. So what is bound to degenerate, not worth clinging to, is not going to bring us ultimate happiness, is no kind of a solid self that we can cling on to and hold on to and keep. And this simple reflection applied to just thoughts and feelings and memories grows in the mind, matures the mind and start to look at its own experience without getting so caught up in it and giving it so much meaning and importance. This is what the Buddha was driving at in his teaching. You get to the mind to the point where you can see that these five khandhas, body, feelings, memory, thought formations, sense consciousness, anicca, dukkha, anatta, what is subject to arising is subject to cessation, to unsatisfactory. So conditioned thing is no kind of self, permanent self-entity in that. It's this practice of mindfulness and insight, investigating in this way, that helps us develop this clarity and this sense of detachment, dispassion, this separating back or stepping back from experience that allows us to have more peace, more happiness in the mind. A much deeper happiness than just the, the happiness of meritorious actions, dana and sila and even the pity and sukha, the rapture that comes from quietening the mind in meditation. And the happiness of insight is much more profound because it 
it's there all the time, it doesn't disappear. Even when samadhi cannot be maintained, one goes in and out of samadhi for a few minutes or even a few hours, whatever. That kind of happiness is, we can see so clearly is still anicca dukkha anatta. It's a part of the path, it's part of the practice, just like the dana, the sila. But it's not the goal. What helps us get to the goal is this insight that we keep training in. And in one meditation you can develop that insight, just seeing the arising, passing away of your own thoughts, the sensations, the feelings. But what makes this insight more powerful takes the mind to maybe a higher level or deeper level is when all the other factors are working together to support it. It's not something that's just independent, it's not just thinking and intellectually understanding the teachings. When the other factors, the dana, the sila, the samadhi are there together, and obviously not, that's not always happening, but when things do gather together, this is when the water jar fills up. The mind becomes very still and one-pointed in its knowing, knowing of anicca dukkha anatta, letting go of all phenomena, not taking them as a self, not grasping at them. So that's when this sense of discontent that originally got us into the practice of meditation might disappear. When all these different factors come together, then the mind might become very, very peaceful. And it knows it's peaceful. Many teachers talk about when at that point the mind becomes very, very bright. As if a bright light turning on inside the mind. Bright sun, bright moon on a cloudless night sky. Very, very bright. This is just a reflection of the all those factors, all that training, all that practice coming together at one point. And even the brightness of the mind it has different depths to it. It can be momentary or very deep and profound for a long time very bright, radiant, moderately bright and radiant and so on. But at this point when the mind becomes very bright, radiant, there's this sense of letting go of the candors. That normal sense of identifying with them, seeing them as a self and, and reacting to them all the time with pleasure and displeasure. Obviously, the the result is a sense of equanimity or peka detachment. Just the detached knowing of the heart, in the heart of the candas, that they are nicca dukkha anatta. 
And sometimes this experience comes together just for a few moments and the mind pulls back. Or for many moments, a long time. But when we do experience this, the thing to do as the mind withdraws from that is to just contemplate whatever is arising and see it as arising, passing away with mindfulness to follow up on one's sensations, feelings, thoughts or investigate this body, the physical elements that make up this body, the earth, air, fire, water, it's at this point when the mind is very, very bright, one-pointed. Then it becomes very obvious, clear to the mind that this body is an anatta. All that we can experience with this body, the, the forms we can see, sounds we can hear, taste, smell, touch, all the ideas, concepts that we can create, Coming out of this very bright state of one-pointedness, one can see all of this as an each dukkha anatta, whatever arises. Sometimes the mind throws up its own thing to investigate. Sometimes visual images or particular feelings or moods from the past perhaps. It's very, very important that whenever this happens, these kind of Experiences of meditation happen. We have to train ourselves to follow up with mindfulness and investigate anicca, dukkha, anatta as long as we can, as long as we can sustain it until maybe the mind becomes tired of, uses up all its energy and then we have to start all over again filling up the water jar to get back to that point of one-pointedness. For some practitioners, some of our teachers, when they describe this, perhaps it's the fruit of many lifetimes of practice. So all those different factors, the meritorious factors, the sata, the dana, the sila, the samadhi has been practiced, the insight has been developed for many lifetimes. So it sounds very easy sometimes. But one can contemplate this and see, well, probably it was never easy. This practice takes many efforts, many times, and many kinds of effort to perfect. Many lifetimes, many days, months, years, lifetimes. So one really can't concern oneself too much with that. Again, one will end up back with a sense of discontent and frustration. But one can draw some conviction and some happiness in the success of others when we do hear about other teachers who've practiced and experienced this. Letting go of these kind of attachments, delusions, that cause all the discontent and suffering in the heart. 
Today I was thinking about Tanajan Lee, the senior disciple of Lungda Mahabua. So we have that book with uh, his and other people, other practitioners, personal biographies in. He said when he first became a monk, the very first fasa that he practiced, he just put all his heart and all his effort into developing mindfulness using Bhutto and then a supergamatana, contemplating the unattractiveness of the body, seeing the body as a corpse and so on. He just did that wholeheartedly over and over again, very many hours of practice. And he said he had this experience at one point, the very first fasa, the mind gathering together, the result of many years of and lifetimes of practice perhaps, all gathering together, the mind became very bright, one-pointed. And as he came out of that, he had a vision of his own wife. He'd been married before that. Just seeing his wife appear right before him in his mind's eye. See her age and then die as if watching a movie perhaps. The body lay down, started to decompose, gradually dried out. Kept disappearing before his eyes until all that was left was of earth and dust, and then even that disappeared to complete emptiness. He said from that point on he never had any more doubt about Nama Rupa, body and mind, or physical phenomena, mental phenomena. The heart just knew inside, it's an dukkha anatta. Nothing solid, nothing lasting. He could see that in himself, in his wife, in other people, in the world around him. Nothing could fool him again, trick him again in this, on this point. He said he wasn't yet enlightened, but he had that deep insight firmly established in his heart. He could see how before, as a lay person, he'd always had this sense of sadness, tiredness of the world. He'd got married, he'd, had, he'd worked to earn a living, but he'd always had this sadness and sense that it was almost kind of hopeless and it wasn't the real way to happiness. But he'd never completely seen for himself what that was. Just a kind of a, a something in the back of his mind, a sense of sadness. But when he came to meditate and practice in this way, all the wholesome qualities coming up together supported the insight arising. You could see clearly with a detached, equanimous, peaceful state of mind. And this is just the, the true nature of our existence as human beings the body and the mind and in each dukkha anatta condition things there's nothing to cling on to here or identify with here in the five candles.
and that insight you said, stayed with him from that point, that first fasa. So it didn't wasn't just a temporary bit of clarity. It was actually something that stuck with him, stuck in his mind, went deep into his heart, and would affect him, change him for the rest of his life. Obviously he's somebody right at the end of his practice, very near the goal. We might turn back and look at ourselves and think, mm, I'm still a long way from that. But we can develop the right view, the samaditi that supports that kind of experience arising. All of us can do that. We can all understand the power and the importance of developing wholesome dhammas meritorious dhammas through our actions, our speech, our ways of thinking, developing the happiness, the contentment that comes from that in dana, in sila, in bhavana. And we can see that if we keep training in insight and mindfulness together, gradually that kind of experience will emerge out of what we're doing. If we just don't stop, don't give up, just keep doing it. Gradually our mindfulness and insight will become more and more refined and more established. If we keep using that framework, the model of abandoning the unwholesome, developing the wholesome, purifying our mind, the model of the Four Noble Truths, to reflect on in our daily life and develop ourselves in the right way. And then we too, one day, just like Tanajan Lee, we can experience that kind of insight. It might manifest differently for us, but it would have the same effect, the same insight into the Anicca Dukkha Anatta of all Nama Rupa, physical, mental phenomena, and the detachment, the dispassion, the equanimity, the peace that comes from that insight. So I'll leave these words with you to contemplate tonight.